everybody, and welcome to From Plum Creek with Love, a little house on the prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. Well, we are, as I've just been counting, more than halfway done with season four. There are about seven episodes left with, and as it should be, the season finale being a two-part episode. Thank goodness for only one of those this season. Again, being a first-time watcher of the series, I do my best to avoid any sort of spoilers, and I only go and look up information after I've finished an episode or season. And I used to kind of um, award myself uh, listening to other people's TV recap commentary episodes on Little House on the Prairie, and um, I've actually had to stop doing that. Because there are a number of spoilers that I have gotten by doing so. So once again, I've restricted myself to Supernatural Ghost Story podcast. And I'm all caught up on this new series that was done by Icelandic musical artist Bjork called Sonic Symbolism. Each episode kind of dives into her whole process and essentially state of mind as she was making each of her studio albums. And um, I'm looking forward to the next one on that. Because at no time are they talking about Little House on the Prairie. And with that being said, let's get started on today's recap. Today's episode is entitled Whisper County and debuted on January 16th, 1978. The episode was written by John Hawkins and directed by Michael Landon. We begin at the end of another school day. Mary, oddly enough, is the first one out of the building, and she, followed by her sisters, are running up to the back of Hanson's Mill, which is now a grain storage facility. She makes the announcement that she has been offered a teaching job assigned by Reverend Alden. We cut to Plum Creek. Apparently, Reverend Alden has been gone quite some time because he refers to Mrs. Sims as Miss Beetle. He's there giving Charles and Caroline the 411 on this teaching opportunity. Mary announces she got the job because she was the best qualified and the most smartest. What we find out about the teaching position is that it's a two-month term located up in Willow Prairie. It happens to be their first school. Pay is $15 a month. Room and board are included at a good Christian home. Mary and Charles, they both seem excited. Caroline, not so much. Willow Prairie apparently is a small community with no store and no post office. Isolated and from what Reverend Alden says, that it's 40 miles north or east to the closest town. I guess that would also include south and west. Reverend Alden continues that uh, the people have a way of being standoffish to strangers. He heads there once a month for his sermon. Mary is told that she's also going to be the second teacher. The first one left after four days. Mary, that's a red flag. When she inquires the reason why, Reverend Alden shrugs his shoulders. I don't know. But Miss Rachel Peel 
had something to do with it. She apparently presides over the prayer meetings when Reverend Alden, again, is not in attendance. And heavens to Betsy, Caroline seems shocked. A lady preacher? Reverend Alden concludes she's got strong opinions and she doesn't seem to have a fondness for school. Charles calls this situation a battleground, but Reverend Alden claims he's talked with the parents and the school is a church project, so everyone's willing to give it a try. Again, their only opposition is from Miss Rachel Peel. And what does Mary say? If I can make it there, I can make it anywhere. Well, in regards to teaching. She says yes, and they'll be leaving the next day. Cut to Mary and Reverend Alden, who apparently left the next day, and immediately arrive at Willow Prairie Multipurpose Building. Reverend Alden has informed us that this is also where he holds his church services. As Mary gets out of the buckboard, it looks as though she's got Laura's birthday dictionary with her. And as Reverend Alden escorts Mary to the building, we pass by the student body. Reverend Alden announces to all of them that this is Miss Singles, your new teacher, and they all know to be at school now. Mary smiles at all the kids. No one returns that. Reverend Alden calls the students shy. Inside the multi-purpose building, which we will refer to as school for today, we are introduced to Caleb Fisher. He's tidying up the space and also will be housing Mary at his place. As Caleb Fisher continues to tidy up, Reverend Alden points out the desk, the only other bit of furniture in the room, and mentions how him and Mary will be sharing that. Mary responds, it will bring me luck. At this time, Caleb mentions it's eight o'clock. Should I ring the bell? And with that, Mary's first day as a teacher is about to begin. Reverend Alden then inquires to Caleb if he will be showing Mary the house after school. There's a flat out nope from Caleb because he'll be busy farming, but mentions that Katie will show her. I imagine we're about to have a lot of new faces and not a lot of names, other than Katie. And by the way, Katie is Caleb's daughter. Reverend Alden doesn't sound too thrilled about the news of Katie escorting Mary home, but what else can he do other than wish Mary good luck and leave? The students all come in, and it's girls on the right and boys on the side left. There is one straggler, who also happens to be the oldest and the tallest out of these 10 students. Mary begins, My name is Miss Ingalls. How is everybody this morning? Silence. Even the crickets are shy. This was Mary's first mistake. Her second is asking if anyone brought a slate, paper, pencil. There's an eye roll from me, and again, silence from all the students. Apparently, Mary did not take the time to notice that none of her students have shoes on, so affording things like paper, slate, chalk, pencil is definitely not in their family budget. As a way of introducing everyone, Mary decides to call the children up one-on-one, -on -one, write out their names, so that way 
they know what it looks like and they can practice writing it. First up is the girl right in front with dark brown pigtails and green eyes. And her name is Katie Fisher. Mary puts one and one together and announces, I'm staying at your place. You're going to show me how to get there after school. Katie delivers a reluctant head nod. A second child comes up to the desk and she remains silent when asked for her name. And off screen, speak up child. All heads turn. And yes, we are introduced to Miss Rachel Peel, who happens to know how to accessorize an outfit by simply adding a belt. We're told this second girl, her name is Sarah Miller, almost all eyes are on Miss Peel. Mary hands the paper with Sarah's name and she returns to her seat. Mary thanks Miss Peel for dropping in, but Rachel Peel isn't done. She steps into the building. She has come to inspect Mary. With a scowl, she says, Fancy raiments and books. Mary, yes, I need the books to teach. Teach what? Ciphering? Mary seems a little confused. Old ways are best. Ciphering and Lord's words are all a man ever needs. Rachel Peel states that a man just needs to know how to take his wares to market, sell it at a good price, and hurry back to the bosom of his family, away from sin and temptation. Her words, definitely not mine. Simply nodding her head, Mary states, yes, but also I'm teaching math, history, and geography. Only ciphering. The rest is sin and waste. She then leaves. Mary is starting to understand why the previous teacher only lasted four days. We cut to the end of school that day. Mary, escorted by Katie Fisher, is trying to start any sort of conversation on their way to the Fisher house. At one point, Katie begins to run ahead fast. They're passing by Miss Rachel Peel's house, and she is out on the porch. As Mary tries to be cordial, friendly, to Miss Rachel Peel, Katie Fisher gives Mary a look that is clearly WTF. As they leave, the camera zooms in on Miss Rachel Peel, her arms crossed, unmoved. We cut to the Fisher place, Mrs. Fisher is busy making dinner. At this time, Katie comes into the house, and just before she's about to be scolded for being late, Mary steps in. Introductions are exchanged. Mrs. Fisher seems to have forgotten that Mary was staying with them. In a timid voice, Mrs. Fisher confesses that her husband Caleb don't hold with forgetting. Katie is instructed to take Mary up to the loft, which is where Mary's sleeping quarters are located. Getting upstairs first, Katie tidies up. But Mary states that it's okay. However, Katie, Ma says it's supposed to be tidy. Mary, see, you can talk to me, and it didn't hurt you one bit. Katie then smiles. 
However, she jumps a little when Caleb comes home. She tells Mary that she better hurry and gets downstairs quickly. Mary, however, states that she'll be a minute longer. She wants to wash and change before coming down. And downstairs around the dinner table, a freshened up Mary makes her entrance, which is greeted by nothing but silence. Caleb is visibly upset. And when Mary explains how she was just simply freshening up, Caleb looks Mary up and down and calls the new dress she has on improper. Mary, confused, but it's my best Sunday dress, the one I wear to church. Caleb's not into this and tells Mary just to simply sit and start eating in silence. It should be noted, the Fisher ladies do jump a little bit every time Caleb opens his mouth. After dinner, Mary volunteers to help Mrs. Fisher clean up the mess. Mrs. Fisher initially refuses, it's my job. Mary mentions how if they work together, they'll get the job done quicker. She continues to mention how back home at Plum Creek, her pa would either read the newspaper or play the fiddle to help pass the time. It's at this time Mary mentions a story of how troops were sent to Florida and Oregon to help count some votes to determine who is president. And Mrs. Fisher turns her head and inquires, who is the president? It's a little awkward when Caleb then states that it's Grant still. And Mary assures him, nope, that was before. Now we have Rutherford B. Hayes. And clearly, being a person who doesn't like to be corrected by anyone, Caleb then tells Mary how Mrs. Fisher said she didn't need your help, and she don't. He then instructs Mary to go to her room, as if he were her dad. We're also informed that Katie will sleep on the floor and she can have the bed. Mary assures her that they can both share the bed. And just as Mary is heading up into that loft, she is reminded once again by Caleb about her dress not being acceptable. Mary rolls her eyes without rolling her eyes, says goodnight to Mrs. Fisher, and Mrs. Fisher looks like she wants to climb up in that loft and join the conversation. We cut to, assuming the next day, Mary and Katie Fisher are heading to school, and they pass by a barn that's rather broken down. I can't tell if there's been a fire or not, but it's not in good condition. Mary inquires what happened, and Katie Fisher mentions, Miss Peel did it. Mr. Simpkins made her mad. She can do anything. And at Willow Prairie School, Mary is using apples to help teach a math lesson. When she inquires to the oldest student, if you have two apples and somebody gave you two more, how many do you have then? She's once again greeted with silence. Mary repeats the question, and then from behind, we hear, you've got three. And we are then introduced to Bond, Joshua Bond, who's currently eating the fourth apple, and is now technically the oldest student that Mary has, as well as the tallest and I can't help but wonder if Mary is thinking, is this what it's like to be Miss Beetle? 
Mrs. Sims, and have your students taller than you? And with that apple, slightly chewed, Joshua Bond states, Pa said you handing out learning. I need some. But all I hear is apple talk. Mary, trying to be CCC, cool, calm, and collected, turns to Joshua Bond and asks him the same question, two plus two. And his response is, three, cause I ate one. He then pulls out that second apple and takes a bite out of it. And Mary, mm, she is not having it and sends the boy home. Joshua Bond seems a little surprised, but Mary states, you showed up late and you can only return when you can behave properly and politely in class. I'm here to teach and you're here to learn. Joshua Bond is trying to get a word in, but Mary's too PO'd. Apparently, she hasn't learned anything about patience. As Joshua Bond turns to leave, it should be noted, his pants are pretty tight. We find ourselves back at the Fisher house. Mary and Katie and Mrs. Fisher are having a conversation about the telephone. Mrs. Fisher is rather impressed. You mean we could put one in the barn? Mary says yes, they could, but why would a cow need a telephone? Mary, trying to do dad jokes. It doesn't work. But Mary does state that America will be a lot smaller thanks to Mr. Bell. Just then, Caleb arrives home and inquires about the topic of conversation. Katie and Mrs. Fisher share what they have learned about the telephone. And Caleb, that is a lie. Immediately, Katie and Mrs. Fisher lower their heads. And a defiant Mary then states, no, sir, it is not. There are stories in the newspaper. And Caleb, not a fan of mainstream media, says, oh, stories equal lies. There's a chuckle and an eye roll from me on that one. He continues by accusing Mary of making stuff up. Mary defends herself, saying that she is not, and she's not doing this in a soft-spoken tone. In this moment, Caleb calls Mrs. Fisher, Ellen, this seems to be the season of Ellen's, and tells her to prepare his meal. Caleb then confronts Mary about sending Joshua Bond home. His father's not happy. And defending her decision, even though she shouldn't have to, she states, if he can behave, he can attend class. If not, I'll send him home again. Mary gets up from the table, and before she heads up into the loft, she turns and tells Caleb, I did not lie. There is such a thing as a telephone. And while Caleb Fisher is busy scowling, it looks like Ellen Fisher has a smile, smirk on her face. There's also one on Katie's. We cut too, and all I can tell you, it's morning and we're outside of the Fisher's barn. Caleb Fisher is heading out to sell his corn at the last minute. Ellen Fisher is apologizing for the lunch that she's packed. Caleb Fisher has little to say about the lunch. He's more worried about the corn prices, so he's heading out right now. After he's gone, Katie and Mary are heading over to school. 
and Ellen Fisher mentions the dress that Mary is wearing and how Caleb didn't like it. Mary? Well, I do. She then heads off to school. Before leaving the property, Mary notices a tethered rooster, and she's decided to stop and set it free. However, according to Katie Fisher, stop. However, she doesn't offer any additional explanation other than, don't stop. Mary continues with setting the rooster free, and Katie Fisher, well, she turns and runs off. But she doesn't go too far, because she's at school. Everyone's at school, except for one student who is down with a bout of whooping cough. Joshua Bond then returns at this time, and he promises to behave. He also, in mentioning the whooping cough, pulls out a small bag hanging around his neck, and he states it's to help ward off whooping cough. He hands it to Mary. Mary keeps it at a little distance from her and mentions the strong odor. Joshua Bond continues, according to Miss Peel, this little bag will prevent you from getting the pox, the mumps, and the measles. Mary, clearly questioning the source material, takes that small bag and places it at the far end of her desk. Joshua Bond has taken his seat and mm, it looks like he is hot for teacher. We find ourselves back over at the Fisher place. Mary, Katie, and Ellen Fisher are all inside and that is when Caleb Fisher comes in and inquires who let his rooster out. We are in fact informed that having a rooster tied up that way means good luck. There's a face palm for me on that one. Caleb then continues to share more information that Mary was unaware of, such as dead spiders can help cure aug and wolf droppings can help cure colic. Gross. He then calls Mary ignorant for not knowing these things. He finishes up by saying that an hour before he reached the feed and seed, apparently the one that's 40 miles away, the bottom fell out. Not of his wagon, but of corn prices. And he laments how he only got half the price he was expecting. Ellen Fisher tries to soothe things over, but is yelled at and told to shut up. His words, not mine. He then tells Mary not to touch anything else on his property and kind of pushes her out of the way and reminds her to wear a proper dress for supper. He then leaves. Ellen Fisher tells Mary that there's still a few more minutes before dinner, before supper, so if she wants to wash up, now's the time to do it. Ellen and Katie exchange a look that this cycle is starting to repeat. We find ourselves at school. It's the end of the day, and Joshua Bond is there in his tight pants and enters, and he wants some help from Mary. He is having troubles with his sixes and his nines. His words, not mine. And Mary states that he is fully capable of learning these math tables. Joshua Bond states, but I have no paper and no pencil, no chalk and no slate. Mary, leaving the school with Joshua Bond following, tells him, use the dirt and a stick. That's what I did. 
He then proceeds to kneel down and do the problem in the dirt. That's when Mary kneels down and notices that his answer has the numbers reversed. And as she goes to correct it, Joshua Bond places a hand on her back and states, You know, you're kind of pretty. They both stand up and Joshua Bond places his other hand on Mary's shoulder and says, I can be a fast learner if you give me a chance. He then places his other hand on Mary's shoulder and Mary places her hand across his face and off screen we hear Joshua, you devil's disciple. When your pa hears, he'll rip your soul clean. Uh, hello, Miss Peel. There is an LOL and a beans and rice from me. And of course, Joshua Bond leaves. And just when you think Miss Peel was there to save Mary, you Jezebel, flaunting your flesh and temptation, Yes, Miss Rachel Peel is blaming Joshua Bond's behavior on how Mary is dressed. As she starts to drive away, Miss Rachel Peel states, You will burn! You will burn! From there, we cut to up in the loft, the Fisher's loft. Mary is sharing her hair treatments with Katie Fisher, never to sleep in braids, and always 100 brushstrokes. There's a knock on the door downstairs, and we hear, I've come to see her. And it's Bond. Mr. Bond. You know, Joshua's dad. Mary is called downstairs, and mm, Mr. Bond does not wait at all. Miss Peel's right, you a Jezebel, and worse. He states that his son came home sick, and it's only because Miss Peel stopped by that Joshua's life was saved, with one of her makeshift cures, of course. Mary tries to explain the situation, and Mr. Bond tells her to be quiet. You won't cast no spill on me. I'm too strong. We're informed Joshua Bond's ailment is his eyes are swollen shut, Mr. Bond then threatens Mary and then leaves the house. And Caleb Fisher is not too far behind. As Ellen Fisher closes the door, she tells Mary that Katie is not feeling well and she won't be going to school tomorrow. And then in silence, Mary heads back up to the loft to hang out with a sick Katie Fisher. And the next time we are heading into school, Mary arrives to an empty schoolhouse and she sits down at her desk, defeated. We're back over at Plum Creek. Caroline is deep into a book. It's on loan from Alice Garvey. The topic of the book? Dresses, styles, and patterns. It is late night, but we do hear a wagon stop outside of the house and it's Mary with eyes full of tears and she comes in and collapses into Caroline's lap. Next day, Charles heads out to get the 411 from Mary and his pants are not nearly as tight as Joshua Bond's. 
Mary bemoans how she failed her first teaching job. But Charles assures her that she did have some help. And Mary states, of course, to Miss Rachel Peels, people think she can cast spells. They think she's some kind of witch who's hiding behind the Bible. And yeah, I know there's a contradiction there, but nobody catches on. Mary continues, Miss Rachel Peel hates school. She hates books. Yeah, she hates me. She told all the parents lies to keep the children home. Charles continues to listen, but he then states, well, it's over now and it doesn't matter. But Mary uh, is hurt by these rumors. She's hurt that these children were denied their education. Mary proclaims she ruined our school. And Charles concurs and makes the comparison of how bigots are like mountains and just as hard to change. Mary looks at her dad. Then somebody should get some dynamite and blow her up. Just kidding. But Charles does have experience with making his way through mountains. Mary just hates that these lies, rumors were being spread about her. And she decides to head back to tell the truth to everyone at Willow Prairie. She turns to her dad and inquires, do you mind? And Charles, no, I don't mind driving 40 miles so you can get an apology. Actually, he just states he's been waiting to hear this decision from Mary. So it is decided that Charles and Mary are going to crash Miss Rachel Peel's Sunday service. And Mary, other than a ride, asks for one more favor. It's my fight. Promise me you'll stay quiet. And Charles delivers a smile and a promise. We are back up in Whisper County. Charles and Mary are showing up and Miss Rachel Peel, although called a witch, caresses her Bible like a lover. The topic of her sermon today is the Ten Commandments. And as she starts, Mary comes in from behind. What are you doing here? Mary states that she's come to attend the meeting. She is immediately told by Miss Rachel Peel that she's not welcomed. And Mary, eh, I'm not surprised, but that doesn't matter. And stepping forward, Mary tells Miss Rachel Peel that they're going to have a talk. And it can either be now or after the meeting. Miss Rachel Peel, once again, calls Mary Jezebel and says, I have nothing to say to you. There's a moment of silence before Mary states, Oh, but you have. And Mary disagrees. You have plenty to share. First off, Mary wants to be told why she's a teenage Jezebel. Silence. Before Mary had entered the room, Miss Rachel Peel was on the third commandment. And Mary decides that she'll pick that up, but they're going to jump immediately to the seventh. And trying to get her word in, Miss Rachel Peel states, Yes, do unto others. And Mary shakes her head. Wrong. That's the golden rule, which is mentioned in the Sermon on the Mountain. These residents of Willow Prairie do not know 
that they need some popcorn because Mary is once again proving you don't mess with her. To even drive her point about the Sermon on the Mountain, Mary quotes the exact scripture, Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, and Miss Peel shakes her head and calls her wrong. And Mary, look it up. It's in the Bible that's in your hands. Miss Rachel Peel goes on the defense and states that she doesn't have to. She knows where it is. And Mary, not settling for this, do you? Have you actually read it, or are you just repeating things that you've memorized? And trying to, again, deflect, Miss Rachel Peel states that I live by the good book. And, oh, Mary, tells Miss Rachel Peel that there are thousands and thousands of words, and perhaps she should read some. And she suggests Exodus chapter 20, because that's where the Ten Commandments are. And Miss Rachel... Peel is starting to thumb through those pages, but she is just losing her grip. I don't have to. And this is when Mary delivers the plot twist. Can you read? Read us the ninth commandment. You know, the one you broke. Read it. And Miss Rachel Peel can't even get the book open. She also deflects by calling Mary the devil. Mary ignores this and addresses the crowd. Miss Rachel Peel hates school and books, and she wanted the school closed. Why? Because she broke the Ninth Commandment. There's a quick denial from Miss Rachel Peel, but Mary states, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You told all the parents I was a teenage Jezebel. And it's not really shade, but Miss Rachel Peel delivers this line. That's right. Sinful stench in the nostrils of the righteous. Mary takes a moment and then proclaims, Soap and water is all I smell of. And, well, <laughs> Miss Rachel Peel is pulling out all of her theatrics and raises her Bible in both hands up to the ceiling. And Mary calls this bluff. What are you doing? Calling down the lightning? Do it! And yeah, this has to be the most exciting thing that has happened in this area ever. And again, nobody has popcorn. As expected, nothing happens when Miss Rachel Peel raises her Bible to the ceiling. And this is when Miss Rachel Peel brings up the Joshua Bond situation. And looking into the crowd, Mary states, Oh yeah, he's here. Let's hear from him. But unless he wants to bear false witness too. Mr. Bond encourages Joshua to tell the truth and set yourself free. And well, Joshua Bond relays exactly what happened and how he tried to sneak a kiss, and how he was caught, and he proceeded to rub his eyes hard and with dust, making him red and swollen, until Miss Rachel Peel came to the house, and he received a special potion. And that's when he admits the potion did nothing. It was actually his mom that helped him clear out his eyes 20 times with water that eventually did the trick, and Mrs. Bond, who was also there, concurs 
And what does she say? She did it while they were bearing false witness at the Fisher's place about Miss Ingalls. Okay, that's a little bit of shade. There's nothing but silence. Until Mary states that the lessons of the Ten Commandments are done for today. She continues that if you wanted to look up a scripture for proof of God's love for man, look up Psalms 133, a scripture about U-N-I-T-Y, that's a unity, and to not live in a world of fear and hate, but of one of love and understanding, which we learned about as well as compassion way back in School Mom, season one. Once Mary is done speaking from the audience, we hear a amen to that from Ellen Fisher. Mary then continues that school will be open on Monday for anyone who wants to learn. And we get another amen from Ellen Fisher. She looks over at her husband and then stands up and starts to sing, Jesus Loves Me, which has a domino effect because the entire room starts to sing. Mary has an entire choir backing up her words, and Miss Rachel Peel is standing in front of the room, crying. Mary offers a hand, and Miss Rachel Beale takes it. Mary's job as a teacher has now begun. Everyone continues to sing as the camera zooms out on the small, multi-purpose building hidden up in Whisper County. Before we get to rating and reviewing this episode, we get to bring up the source material for the first time in a while. And well, sadly, Mary never went off to be a teacher. Well, I shouldn't say never, because there is a four-year time jump between on the banks of Plum Creek and on the shores of Silver Lake. So, who knows? However, at the beginning of these happy golden years, that's exactly what Laura is heading out to do. Her ride, however, is only 12 miles away from home, and she's also starting her job at the beginning of winter. She's also 15. Mary is, however, in the episode as well. Oh, and instead of Miss Rachel Peel being the antagonist, Laura has to deal with a knife-wielding Mrs. Brewster. And thank you to Garth Williams, because there's a picture of that. So, episode kind of inspired by the book, and again, first time through, so I don't know what seasons 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 are also going to relay, so maybe Laura is going to have this first time teaching experience. I, like I said, I just don't know yet. And let's finally get to reviewing and rating this episode. Who doesn't love a good villain? And OMG... Miss Rachel Peel delivers. She brings her own sort of Miss Carmoody from The Mist and Claude Frollo from The Hunchback of Notre Dame and adds her own little prairie twist to it all. Seriously, she's a top contender for favorite guest star. So yes, talk about abuse of power and perhaps the power of persuasion. Maybe Miss Rachel Peel, like Mary suggested, really is a witch. But seriously, every time actress Anita Dangler is on screen as Miss Rachel Peel, 
she has my attention. And again, something else that got my attention, why was Joshua Bond's pants that tight? Is it just supposed to drive the fact that Whisper County, aka Willow Prairie, is not a very rich community? So therefore, Joshua Bond has been wearing the same pair of pants for a, a couple years after his growth spurt? Again, speculation. If anyone needed a talk about their clothes being too suggestive, it was Joshua Bond. And once again, we have a very Mary-centric episode in season four, but again, not complaining. In fact, this kind of gives us a, a connection into season one, because way back in the award episode, Mary states that she wants to be a teacher, just like her ma. However, it, since that time, we haven't heard any more of that discussion, nor did Mary take any sort of uh, exam to be a teacher. But regardless, congratulations to Mary and congratulations to the Prairie Verse for a little bit of surprised continuity. And when are people going to learn not to mess with Mary? She's been invoking the wrath of God since season one, and this is season four. Mary knows how to stand up for herself, and she totally does throughout this episode. While treated poorly, she doesn't accept anything that Caleb Fisher has to say. Be it about her looks or about her spreading stories, she's not compromising herself. The only reason she ends up returning back home is because the entire area uh, has turned their back on her. However, Mary doesn't know how to win a dictionary, a Minnesota state mathlete competition, or even a stitchwork competition. But when it comes to one-on-one, -on -one, words and fist, the lesson is don't mess with Mary. And another thing you don't want to mess with is this week's Little House Moment, which goes to Ellen Fisher for finding her voice at the right time. She has a reason to celebrate. This big plot twist reveals to Ellen Fisher that she's seeing her community starting to change. And who knows what this means for a little Katie Fisher. So after hearing that school will be opened and all are welcome, of course Ellen's excited. Maybe she might even go to school as well. Because being able to read is fundamental. And with that, let's get to rating this episode. I only have a few complaints, and it's mostly just about pacing. So other than that, I loved this episode. I loved that we were away from Walnut Grove. We were away pretty much from all the Ingalls, except for Mary. But I'm a friend of Mary, so I don't mind. And the Fisher family. Wow, you couldn't get a better group of lookalikes. You have John McLean as Caleb Fisher looking a little like Terrence Stamp, followed by Ellen Fisher, played by Dee Craxton, looking a little like Beth Grant, and little Katie Fisher, played by Linda McMillan, is giving us little Wednesday Adams on the prairie. And of course, scene-stealing Miss Rachel Peel, played by Anita Dangler. And her voice was giving me Julian Anderson, as Margaret Thatcher in The Crown vibes, uh, and I, I did not do it justice. Miss Rachel Peel 
was amazing. I came across an article written in May 2021 by John D.B. on Outsider.com. In that article, Melissa Anderson talks about this episode in particular, with this one being her least favorite she acted in. According to the article, she states that she feels as though she went way too far, over the top, and I just have to say, I'm all for that. I loved, loved Mary and Melissa Anderson's acting in this episode. So for me, this episode, Whisper Country, it's a five bonnet rating from me. And as always, those are just my thoughts and feelings about this episode, and I wouldn't mind hearing any thoughts or feelings you have about this episode or any previous episode or season. From Plum Creek with Love at Gmail and Instagram. As always, appreciate any rating or review you leave on your platform of choice. Again, get the word out on this podcast. With that, we come to the end of another episode of From Plum Creek with Love, a Little House on the Prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez, and until next time, take care. Thank you.